Welcome to Rougher Radio, a series of podcasts in which we'll be exploring the investment universe and sharing our interpretation of what's going on. Markets entered 2022 at breakneck speed, and within a week, we've witnessed turbulence which could well remain a feature throughout the rest of the year. Today, I'm very glad to be joined by Matt Smith, Investment Director at Ruffer and Co-Manager of no fewer than two of Ruffer's flagship funds. Matt, a very warm welcome. Hi, Rory. We're at that wonderful time of the year where the world and their wife offer predictions for what's going to happen in the economy and financial markets. So I'm afraid, Matt, I'm going to ask you to participate in that folly a little bit and to be mystic, Matt, today. Um, But first, let's spend a couple of minutes reflecting on what was a pretty fascinating year last year. So what worked well in rougher portfolios in 2021? I think... uh we can focus in on two things that worked well for us last year. The first was stock selection. Um, Our biggest equity allocations were to uh, firstly energy stocks uh, and secondly financial stocks. Energy stocks, the stocks in the portfolio there on average returned around 40% for the year, uh, contributing about a a third of the portfolio's overall return. And financials are pretty similar but at a higher weight, so a 35% average return for those stocks uh, delivered around two-fifths of the fund's return for the year. Those are very strong returns and would indicate that they were fairly sizable positions within the portfolio. What was the respective weightings across the course of the year? So energy stocks started the year uh, reasonably small at around 2%, and we had increased that to uh, 67% by the end of the year. Financials started bigger, around 5%. And by the end of the year, that was that was near 10%. The second part of the portfolio that, that worked well for us in 2021 was our uh, management of the portfolio's interest rate sensitivity through derivatives called swaptions, which rise in value as interest rates do, which helps us manage the portfolio's vulnerability to uh, volatility in, in bond yields. And they contributed uh, around a third of the return. So Matt, that's the positive side of the ledger. But what didn't work well last year? I think two things didn't work well. Firstly, our allocation to gold was was a was a negative. Uh, the gold price fell around four percent over the year, and gold miners were worse than that. Secondly, equity protection. You know, in a year where equity markets rose pretty strongly, almost consistently through the year, the derivatives we had protecting the portfolio against falls in equity markets were were unneeded. Matt, that gold underperformance versus other asset class is interesting. Obviously, we had the, the material return of inflation last year, and historically, gold has performed well as an inflation hedge. Why didn't it do so well this time around? I would say there are two reasons for that. Firstly, what's uh, so much fun about financial markets is that the future can play out exactly as you expected Uh, and you can still lose money on the things that you bought. Gold, I think, came into the year at a pretty high level. A lot of inflation expectation was priced into gold from 2020. And even though inflation turned out at a pretty high level over the year, it was uh, not enough to keep the gold price from falling. Secondly, and I think this is probably a bigger driver, the lustre of digital alternatives to gold, uh, all the cryptocurrencies that came into being and accelerated you know, much, much faster than gold, were probably too much to ignore and dragged investors away from, from Boomer coin. Sort of feels a little bit like a, a new 
kid from out of town joins the year group at school and is very, very popular uh, within the first three weeks. And, and perhaps uh, some of the, the, the popular kids who were there last year um, feel like they've maybe had their noses put out of joint a, a, a little bit. Matt, uh, that was one surprising feature of 2021, the the, the gold uh, underperformance. What else really surprised you? Well, I think there's an incredible amount of rather extraordinary things that happened through the year. Um, and if you'd, if you'd taken an investor and said to him at the start of 2021 that by the end of the year, you'd have more COVID cases than ever before, that European electricity and gas prices would be up nearly threefold, that CPI, that the inflation rate would be at 7%, that US consumer confidence would be back to levels uh, seen in 2009, i.e. the depth of the financial crisis, and that the market was still up a double-digit amount by the end of the year, he'd have been extremely surprised. And the reason the market behaved that way is that it was driven by uh, extremely large fiscal stimulus and monetary stimulus What's interesting is that most of that is now reversing course, and that's going to make things more exciting going forwards. Exciting is one word. Some others might choose uh, turbulence as another, but all in all, we're uh, beginning to see increasing inflation volatility. And this is something you've been talking about a lot at Ruffer, is this regime of heightened inflation volatility. Now, that is distinct from higher inflation. But could you just elaborate a little bit on what that distinction really means for investors? Yeah, of course. I, I think it's a, a really important distinction. Uh, high inflation is obviously exactly that. It's uh, inflation coming through at a high level. Inflation volatility can be summed up as uh, people who make predictions about inflation looking stupid. It, it means that there's greater uncertainty over the path of inflation in the future. That could be up, could be down. If you take Jerome Powell, the, the chairman of the, the US Federal Reserve, the central bank, one of the best informed people in, in the world on what's happening in the US economy, he described the current episode of inflation that we're going through as transitory in 2020. Now, by the end of last year, he had to retire that term. He was essentially wrong on the speed with which it would pass. On the other side of the coin, the people who were panicking after the fiscal stimulus of 2020 that this was modern monetary theory and that this would lead to hyperinflation, they've also been wrong. Uh, uncertainty is the real outcome of inflation volatility. It's, it's that we don't know what the path of it is likely to be in the future. We have you know, a structural conviction that it's higher, but in the shorter term, that, that, will, that will be volatile. So really, we as investors have to just be cautious and humble uh, in the face of the unknown. The picture you paint, Matt, is one that seems quite tricky for investors going forward. And I'm interested to know, going back to something you mentioned a little bit earlier, about the, the use of unconventional assets. Everything that you've said would suggest that bonds and equities could be in for a pretty rough ride. But do you think that the use of derivatives in the rougher portfolio is going to become increasingly important in the year ahead? It's hard to say whether it'll be increasingly important, but it, it will certainly continue. And uh, I think the importance of those instruments has been shown by the COVID crisis, where the portfolio was was heavily reliant on them to deliver the uh, the returns that it did, uh, and through last year uh, with, with the bond volatility that we saw. And it, it reflects 
essentially our desire and our ability to go to any lengths to deliver on our capital preservation objectives for our clients. You know, we, we live today in, in financial markets in what has been described as an everything bubble. All assets are pretty expensive, uh, underpinned by expensive bonds. So protecting against those bonds getting cheaper against interest rates going up it is going to be quite difficult. And, and we think you'll need unconventional assets to do so. Okay, so aside from uh, unconventional assets, those derivatives, how else do you make money in this environment? The first answer to that question uh, is to focus on what you don't own uh, or what you shouldn't own. And firstly, I think I think fixed income assets, bonds in particular, uh, are going to be dangerous portfolio components in the future. Secondly, highly valued growth stocks uh, are looking quite vulnerable. 2021 gave you plenty of warning signs that these would be uh, tricky places to have capital allocated alongside bonds. Um, and we think it's time to to move on from, from them. Matt, just to stop you there, you probably would have said the same thing about growth and tech names this time last year. Uh, what's changed? <laughs> I think I think that's fair assertion. I, I definitely would have done, probably on record somewhere, saying exactly that. I think what's changed is that we've moved on from the massive fiscal and monetary stimulus that was taking place at the beginning of last year to an environment where that fiscal stimulus is, is waning and monetary stimulus is going exactly into reverse. You're seeing signs that that matters in the frothier parts of uh, the equity market. You know, the profitless tech companies are starting to fall pretty sharply and in the plethora of cryptocurrency uh alternatives to Bitcoin that have sprung up over the year. So that's one side, Matt, but what should you own? I think uh, it's going to be pretty uh, clear cut this year that for the first time in a while, value is going to outperform growth. And that's absolutely reflected in our stock selection uh, with financial equities and energy equities to the fore. And probably for the first time in an even longer time, uh, European stocks, rest of world stocks are likely to outperform US equities. Matt, you touched again on uh, the case for owning energy stocks. Now, these are divisive parts of the market, not least because we are now into a phase of really trying to reverse global warming and address the climate change problem. What is the rationale for owning energy companies and in particular fossil fuel producing companies? So I think firstly, the rationale is around valuation. Because of the inability or unwillingness of a lot of investors to uh, engage with these companies and invest in them, the starting prices for these companies are very cheap. That is attractive to us. Now, clearly, that's of no use uh, if, if they can't be part of the energy transition to the solution to global warming that you mentioned. But we think that that they can be, uh, that all companies will have to be part of the transition. And so we think it's right to invest in these companies and engage with them to make sure that they can be part of it. And it brings along the, the, the second uh, sort of arrow to the case, which is that the commodities that they supply to the world economy, which is energy, uh, are in short supply, thanks to uh, years of underinvestment in in the capital stock. So where do we sit today? These are attractively valued companies that should have rising profits. That's why they're in the portfolio. 
And of course, we're seeing significant evidence of the investments that some of these companies are making in renewables. And so they could well turn out to be some of the most important and biggest renewable companies in the world in the years and decades to come. Let's go back, Matt, to central banks. All eyes are on policymakers at the moment. Do you think that a policy error is inevitable? Perhaps it's already been made. Yes, I think I think it is inevitable. And, and as you say, uh, it's probably been made uh, decades ago, really. But in fairness to them, they're in an absolutely horrible position. Either they, they do react to the inflation that we're seeing and hike interest rates. Uh, the impact of that on the equity market, very uncertain. Uh, that's one of the things that we think would drive a, a rotation from growth to value. Or alternatively, they don't react. And, you know, to my mind, that that's makes higher inflation a highly likely outcome. Uh, and that's the reason that we have the long-dated inflation-linked bonds in the portfolio to protect our clients against that kind of an outcome. But, you know, the, the stakes are really high here. Just look at what's going on in Kazakhstan, you know, 2022's equivalent of the, the Gilets Jaunes. People do not like energy prices and food prices getting more expensive. The response of the government has been to impose price controls. Now, for me, Kazakhstan is obviously you know, a small country, but price controls for me are an essential signpost on the way to higher inflation. It's the classic reaction of the authorities that almost every time throughout history has led to higher levels of inflation. That's interesting. And interesting too, Matt, to hear you express some sympathy for central bankers, which is uh, refreshing. Um, I'm not sure that is uh, or tends to be the the, the party line. Um, so, Matt, let's finish up perhaps with just two or three things that you would encourage investors and, and rougher clients uh, to look out for in the year ahead and, and to be thinking about as this sort of strange and startling world uh, continues its funny little journey. So I think three sort of key key messages. Um, firstly, we expect a value rotation, you know, a rotation out of growth stocks into value stocks, um, and we're, we're positioned accordingly. That's driven by central bank tightening at the same time as the economy recovers from, from COVID. Secondly, appraise what you own in your portfolio right now. If you're being honest with yourself, has it done too well? Does it rely on you know, a greater fool theory to go any further from here? Does it rely on people paying more money for the same thing? And thirdly, uh, a recent portfolio move of ours has been to add to gold. It's been very out of favour, given all of the shiny digital competition. And we think whilst there's probably a rocky ride ahead for assets like gold, it's probably a very good hedge against uh, economic growth falling. Matt, your second point, appraise what you own now feels like sage advice and timely advice at the beginning of a new year. Matt, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thanks very much for having me on the radio, Rory. And thank you for listening. For more on Ruffer and how we think and invest, visit ruffer.co.uk. Past performance is not a guide to future performance. The views expressed in this podcast are the views of Ruffer LLP. They do not constitute as investment research or advice and may be subject to change. Ruffer LLP is authorised and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority. Music